A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome back to the Women's Podcast. I'm Roisin Ingle. And if this is your first time listening or you just recently started listening to the podcast, thank you so much for choosing us. We have a really great episode for you today, which is all about ejaculation. So it's really just trying to get people to think about how careful we are. All people, human, all human beings are careful with their bodily fluids. We're so careful with them. Like we're we don't just pee anywhere. We, you know, we use a we use a bathroom. Like we're we're so careful. We clean up our sneezes. If we threw up at the party, we're gonna clean that up. Like we're that's just part of being human. It's like you gotta take care of your bodily fluids. If you're a baby, you get a free pass, but like once you're old enough to, to do this, you gotta take care of your bodily fluids. And we don't do that with sperm. We like give sperm this big exception for no reason. More on the importance of ejaculating responsibly a bit later on. But first, the Irish women's football team have their homecoming today. And we just wanted to thank them for putting on such a great show in Australia and in New Zealand. We didn't get out of the group. It was a really difficult one. But there were some incredible moments, including this corker of a goal from the corner by Katie McCabe against Canada. Another inviting ball in there on the cross It's a bit of a shame that the achievement of going to the World Cup has been overshadowed slightly by Saipan-style discord between Vera Pau and her captain Katie McCabe and also between Vera Pau and the FAI. But it was wonderful to be able to cheer on an Irish women's side on the world stage and hopefully it won't be the last time that we'll see them there. Disappointing news also concerning one of our favourite pop stars, Lizzo, who is being accused, along with her choreographer, of some terrible things, including sexual harassment and fat shaming by former troop members, former dancers in her in her crew. Now, Lizzo has hit back at these what she calls sensationalised stories on Instagram. She says, these last few days have been gut-wrenchingly difficult and overwhelmingly disappointing. My work ethic, morals and respectfulness have been questioned. My character has been criticised. Usually I choose not to respond to false allegations, but these are as unbelievable as they sound and too outrageous to not be addressed. And she continued that these sensationalised stories are coming from former employees who have already publicly admitted that they were told their behaviour on tour was inappropriate and unprofessional. According to the legal papers, Lizzo allegedly pressured one of her dancers, Ariana Davis, into touching a nude performer at an Amsterdam strip club. It's also alleged that the Grammy winner set up a humiliating 12-hour re-audition for her dancers and that she fostered a hostile work environment, which is very different to the kind of vibes that you hear coming from Lizzo. The other allegations are against her dance captain, Shirlene Quigley, and also against Lizzo's production company, Big Girl, Big Touring. And they include assault, racial and religious harassment, fat shaming, disability discrimination and false imprisonment. So we'll watch that with interest. It'd be such a shame if the poster girl for body positivity 
Turns out not to be that at all. But for now, anyway, Lizzo was coming out fighting and saying that the allegations are not true. Now, what do you think a man might say if you told him that 100% of unwanted pregnancies are the responsibility of his gender and that there would be no need for abortion if men would just take care where they leave their sperm, do the decent thing and ejaculate responsibly? Well, a few years ago, I saw a thread on Twitter by Gabrielle Stanley Blair. She's a Mormon mother of six, a design blogger, and she was making this very point. She didn't think anyone would respond to her 62 tweet thread, but they went viral. And the first person who called her after seeing her tweets was her bishop, who told her she could build a legal career on those tweets. And instead, she wrote a book. The book is called Ejaculate Responsibly. The whole idea of it is a simple solution to the thorny issue of abortion. She says that if men took responsibility for how and where they ejaculated, it would eliminate most unwanted pregnancies and therefore the need for most abortions. Her key claim is that 99% of abortions are the result of unwanted pregnancies and men cause all unwanted pregnancies. She argues that pregnancy doesn't happen because people have sex. An unwanted pregnancy only happens if a man ejaculates irresponsibly, if he deposits his sperm in a vagina when he and his partner are not trying to conceive. So, of course, we had to have her on. It's a whole new way to think about this issue. And there's so much to the conversation. As you know, and we've talked about it a lot on this podcast, women and girls are so often made to feel 100% responsible for unwanted pregnancies, for abortions. There's women and girls who are shamed and blamed when it comes to these matters. But Blair's arguments turn it completely on its head. And if any of you know Kerry politician Danny Healy-Ray, could you please ask him to listen to this podcast? Because I know he's deeply concerned about abortion. A few weeks ago in the Dole, he said he was, I quote, frightened at the rise of abortions in Ireland. And he said, I'm sorry, there's not more emphasis on education given to young girls on the availability of contraceptives and on being careful. No mention there by Danny Healy Ray about young boys or their um, responsibilities in regard to this. So maybe we could get him to listen to this podcast and anybody else who says they want to see unwanted pregnancies and abortions reduced, they should listen to this podcast. I hope you find the conversation as illuminating and engaging as I did. This is Gabrielle Stanley Blair. Thank you so much for coming on the Women's Podcast. I've been wanting to talk to you for a long time, ever since your uh, thread erupted, I suppose is the word, on Twitter. And it was all about how to ejaculate responsibly and why that's important. And now you have a book about it. So can you take us back to 2018 when you released that? I think there was 63 tweets in that thread. And it was (laughs) just, I remember seeing it and going, oh my God, this is amazing. Tell us about it. Well, what was happening in the U.S. at the time was um, Brett Kavanaugh, who's one of our Supreme Court justices. Oh, we know Was him. being, yeah, you know him, right? Was being um, vetted. He was in the news and everyone was talking about him and his views on abortion. And I was just hearing so many men, typically politicians, I have in mind here, um, talking about women's bodies, kind of grandstanding about abortion. It was so clear to me they had no actual knowledge of this subject. They just knew if they said these key words that they would get a vote. I don't know. It was just so, it was so performed. It was so dumb. It just made me so angry because these are real lives being affected by these policies that they're putting in place and they're just not taking this seriously at all. It was just like such a, a game to them as far as like, what words do I need to say to get elected? I don't know. It was really, really maddening. And the idea that 
any of them cared about abortion. It was so clear that they didn't. They just do not think about women in a way that like demonstrates any kind of um, actual compassion or care. Anyway, it was so frustrating to me. And so I wrote this thread and, uh, and, and published it. And I'd actually written out some of these thoughts months before, but I didn't really know where to put them. It didn't seem like the normal content for my blog, which is this design blog and parenting blog. And anyway, and, I, and I'd been on Twitter forever, like it was uh, since I think 2008, but I hadn't ever written a Twitter thread. And I thought, oh, maybe this will be a Twitter thread. I actually, now that I sort of know Twitter threads better, I've written many since then, I know like is totally bad form to write a 63 tweet <laughs> thread. Like that's like way too long, but I'm glad I wrote it. It was awesome. And it went viral immediately. And uh, Twitter's a different place. It, it, something that went viral on Twitter, especially in those years, I know it's different now. It's just a different experience than going viral on Instagram or Pinterest or any other place I've gone viral. It, it really is total strangers in a way that like on, on Instagram, you're, there's almost like a connection or something to everyone that's that's looking at it. They, they maybe are only one degree separated from a follower of, of, of your blog or, or that kind of thing. But on, on Twitter, it really is strangers. And so it was this very, just such a, a different experience hearing from so many people. And it wasn't just in the US, it went viral around the world. So I'm hearing from, of course, English speaking countries, but also just is being translated into Spanish, <laughs> into Japanese, into Russian, into Polish. It's, it just was everywhere. And so many people loving it and so many people wanting to argue with it. It yeah. was, I learned a ton. Brilliant. Well, look, let's look at your sort of key claims. Basically that 99% yeah. of abortions are the result of unwanted pregnancies and men cause all of the unwanted pregnancies. <laughs> and an unwanted pregnancy doesn't happen because people have sex. It happens only when a man ejaculates irresponsibly, basically depositing his sperm in a vagina when him and whoever partner he's with are not trying to conceive. So that's your thesis, right. basically, that if men ejaculated right. responsibly, women wouldn't need to have abortions. Tell us more. Right. <laughs> right. Um, so it's a pretty simple thesis. And in fact, the book is, you know, there's 28 arguments and they're all short arguments and they're really simple. Like there's nothing you're going to read that's like, this is new science. This is some new discovery. It's like basic biological facts, but that we haven't sort of discussed in this way before. So it's a biological fact to say that men cause pregnancy. They do. Women are impregnated. Women cannot impregnate. Ovulation is completely involuntary. We have no control over when it happens and it happens inconsistently, even for people who have a regular menstrual cycle. Their ovulation can still be totally inconsistent. And then for the men's part, ejaculation is always voluntary. It's always intentional. Like they have to choose to do this thing. They have total control of it. And their fertility is so predictable, is so consistent. It's it's really the opposite of women's, where it's women's is unpredictable, involuntary. And we're just constantly trying to control this unpredictable, involuntary thing while completely ignoring the ever-present, always predictable, always reliable men's fertility. So that's what the book really dives into. And, and not just that, it also dives into some of the social dynamics and power dynamics between men and women, you know, in sexual relationships. Anyway, it's awesome. I love this book. I, <laughs> I hope everyone reads it. it. It's awesome and short. And it really changes, shifts people's perspectives, wherever they are, whatever their views are on abortion, even if they are like, I am so pro-choice and I know all about this, I bet they'll learn stuff from this book. I certainly did. I, I have a very progressive stance on abortion and still was 
in the research for this book, learned so much about even my own anatomy, um, things that I did not understand. Like I knew ovulation was unpredictable, but I didn't understand how unpredictable it was. I learned about vasectomies. I learned, I mean, I just learned about so much. And anyway, it's really important conversations. This really affects people. Uh, I get emails every day, DMs every day from women and men who are scheduling vasectomy appointments or having conversations with their partners that they can now share the work of pregnancy prevention, or even saying, I just Venmoed my, or PayPal or Revolution, whatever. we say here, revolution. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I just basically billed my partner for half the cost of birth control and it kind of blew the partner's mind, but he just had never occurred to him that he's benefiting from this cost that she's paying. Anyway, it just is creating conversations all over the place that are really important for actual in real life relationships, but also for changing the culture around the work of pregnancy prevention and men's role in causing unwanted pregnancies. I mean, it may be a, a silly question, but why do you think the focus has been always, I think as long as I've ever been speaking about this issue, on women? It's been our responsibility. Right. It's been our fault. It's been our shame. It's been our, you know, punishment. All of these things that we've, you know, especially in Ireland yes. with the Catholic Church being so in control of us here for so long. What your book does is it shifts the focus away from women and girls who actually, when you outline it very well in the book, have so much less, you know, influence over these things than than the man who is ejaculating has. Like he has a lot more that he can do to prevent these unwanted pregnancies than the woman has. So why have we focused on the woman for so long? It's true. I mean, I've thought about this. I mean, some of it is just like the unsatisfying answer of like, well, it's a patriarchy. Like we, right? the whole world is built for men, around men's needs, and and um, making things convenient and easy for men. But I think there's also technological factor. We really could not prove who the father was until very recently in the history of humankind, right? I mean, until we had genetic testing or paternity tests, we could not prove who the father was. We always knew who the mother was because we saw her body get pregnant. We saw her deliver the baby. Like, okay, we know who the mother is. But the father, even if the father looked like identical to the child, the father can at any point say, nope, not mine. She must have been sleeping around, not my kid, immaculate conception. I don't know. It wasn't me. And there was nothing you could do to prove it. They could just walk away from the pregnancy. That is not me speculating. We know that has happened, continues to happen throughout the world, throughout history, where a man just says, nope, I don't want anything to do with this and walks away. And and now we can prove it. So now I think it's an even more impetus to be able to say, hey, men, maybe you should consider your role in this because we can prove who the father is now. Like, it's not a question anymore. Anyway, so I think some of it is just that. There was no way to prove who the father was. So why are we even talking so much about them, you know, um, in this conversation? Now, again, we can. And and not just that, there's other technological improvements like improved vasectomies, improved condoms, all sorts of things that can bring men back into the conversation. And if men actually have an opinion on this. And a lot of them don't. A lot of them truly don't. They cannot conceive of this thing happening in this other person's body, right? But for those that have an opinion on this, I just wanted to be so clear that they can absolutely prevent all unwanted pregnancies and they choose not to. So if they have any opinions other than let's lecture men about unwanted pregnancies and not causing them, I don't really want to hear their opinions outside of that. Like, like if men just want to lecture women about this, it is clear to me they have no interest in actually reducing abortion or even talking about abortion. They're just trying to control women. They just want to lecture and yell at women because if they had an actual interest, 
they would be talking to men. They would talk, be talking to men about ejaculating yes, responsibly. I, I, I love that, actually. I think I'm just going to send it to all our um, TDs and ministers involved in, in this area because <laughs> you just given me that idea now because I know you're sending <laughs> it to it. the Supreme Court judges as well in, in America. Uh, let's dive into some of your arguments, though, because you did mention fertility. It's a huge one. It, start, it opens the book. So some of the facts are that men are 50 right. times more fertile than women. Sperm live for up to five right. days after the sperm has been ejaculated mm-hmm. into a woman's body. And women's fertility is so unpredictable, mm-hmm. as you've mentioned already. And ov- ovulation is involuntary and ejaculation is not. So let's look at a bit of that. So a man has sex with a woman and then the woman goes about her business right. and the, the sperm is sitting there for f- up to five days is when the pregnancy can happen. So that's a huge part of how sperm is, uh, you know, <laughs> bigger player right. than anything else. Right. And it's and it's so bizarre because we'll talk about it as if it's, they'll say the women's fertility window. And what they mean is how long sperm can live. It has nothing to do with the women's fertility window. Her fertility it's window tiny. is 12 to 24 hours. That's it's when tiny. the egg is fertile. When they say, oh, but the women's fertility window is five days. You're like, no, it's not. The sperm's <laughs> fertility window is five days. All of this stuff that we're doing, all of this work we're doing is is because of men's fertility. Like if if I'm a woman and I'm taking the pill, I'm taking that pill every single day, even though my egg is only fertile 12 to 24 hours a month, but I'm taking that pill every single day. And by doing that to manage my fertility, no, I'm doing that to manage my partner's fertility. I mean, I, whether I'm having sex that day or not, I'm having to manage his fertility. It's ridiculous that this is how it's set up. Yeah. I mean, of course, I'm passionate <laughs> no, about this. I, I love that idea that, that that we're not, it's not about the fertile window of the woman. It's the, the how long the, the sperm lives is what we're really looking at here. I think that's really important. Now, you talk a lot about contraception in the book, whether it's about the idea that, you know, men don't like condoms and, you know, they shouldn't have to use them because it takes their pleasure away from sex or, uh, you know, and birth control for <laughs> men is easy to access and easy to use. For women, it's a lot more complicated and difficult. It can have a lot of side effects. And also the fact that vasectomies are less risky than tubal litigation, say. So talk to us about contraception and birth control Mm -hmm. and the differences. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when I first started thinking about this topic, and I was thinking about the number of abortions, and I I was thinking in terms of the U.S., but it's similar numbers in in most cultures throughout the world, actually, or percentages, I should say. Anyway, I was thinking if someone can get to a, a doctor's office to have an abortion, they can probably get birth control as well. It was sort of that was sort of the thinking in my head. But then I immediately saw the flaw in that because although I've had six kids, so it seems like I wouldn't know anything <laughs> about birth control. I actually have used like all of the birth controls. Like I, I I actually know them quite well. And I know how difficult it can be to get and use birth control for women. And so I thought I'm thinking about this backwards. Women are already preventing literally millions of pregnancies a year all over the world. Like women are preventing millions of pregnancies per year. They are so careful. They're being so careful with their bodies. They are taking responsibility for their bodies. But there are some women that cannot use or access birth control, even if they want to, for medical reasons, for financial reasons, for all sorts of abusive reasons. There there, there are, are legal reasons. There's that they can't access this. And so what we're saying is women are already being responsible for those that cannot 
use the simple options that birth control options that women have, there are simple ways for men to step up and, and be responsible for their own bodies. We're not asking women to stop being responsible for women's bodies. We're asking men to step up and be responsible for men's bodies, which is not happening right now. Women are expected to be responsible for men's bodies and women's bodies. Birth control for men is freaking amazing. And we do not talk about how awesome it is enough. We, in fact, we have all these myths and stigmas around both condoms and vasectomies. But I mean, condoms, I'm going to focus on first. They are just (laughs) heroes in this whole conversation. There is no other option for preventing STIs, sexually transmitted diseases, whatever phrase you like to use, besides condoms. There is no hormonal birth control that prevents this. I cannot take the pill and keep myself safe from, from any kind of sexual infection. So condoms, just for that alone, are already superheroes, right? These are amazing. But also, they've just gotten better and better. These are not the condoms of the 1950s. The technology has gotten better and better. If you talk to men now that have actually learned to use condoms, and I have talked to <laughs> literally thousands of them, they will tell you that if you take a minute to learn how to use condoms, that means find the right size. Size is a real ego issue for men here. I get it, but like, just get the right size. Learn how to lubricate, you know, figure out if there's, do you have any allergies? You need a particular material, you know, uh, maybe you need a non-latex option, whatever it might be. If you take a minute to figure out your condoms, and I, I use the word practice here, not a, I mean, that's kind of a fun thing to do, right? Practice with your condoms. But once you've, practice with your condoms, you know the lubrication, you know all of that, they will swear to me that sex with a condom, sex without a condom is a negligible enough difference. They would never risk their partner's health, their relationship status. They would just never take the risk of having irresponsible sex. They would never ejaculate irresponsibly. That is good news. That is only good news. That means that if you're a man that's like, oh no, but I hate condoms, condoms are the worst. That just means you haven't been taught yet, that you haven't found the right condom for you, that you haven't been taught how to find the right condom or or practiced or figured it out. But women are expected to practice and learn how to use our birth control. And I don't think it's unrealistic to ask men to learn how to use their birth control options. So we've we've talked about the safety feature, you know, the disease saving feature, but it's also, they're just a thousand times more convenient, meaning... I don't need a prescription to get a condom. I can get them 24 hours a day at shops or in vending machines. They're free in a lot of places. You know, often clinics have them for free. Um, College campuses often have them for free. Sometimes governments have free programs. I mean, you can see if yours does. But even if they're not free, you can get them cheap. They can store. They do have an expiration date, so check that date. But they can store typically for years, so you can be like stocked up. None of these things are true for women's birth control options. It's hard to get them. Um, Oh, and other things with condoms, there are no side effects. You do not get sick. You do not need to use a condom on days you're not having sex. You only have it on for a short time. They're just, there's no like, oh, and now Mm. we've had kidney failure. You know, we've had, you know, like someone's having a stroke because of the condom. No, there's nothing like that. And women's birth control has these side effects. I want to be clear. I love women's birth control, so grateful for it. I'm not in any way trying to suggest we take birth control away. Would love to see it improved. Would love to see less side effects. Would love to see safer options. But back to condoms, they're miraculous. They're amazing. And these myths we have about them are so harmful. And I really want us talking about that. And I need men to talk about it because no young man with a penis 
wants to hear from me, middle-aged lady from America who does not have a penis, about condoms. Like, they want to hear from a trusted older brother, uh, uncle, uh, I don't know, friend, whoever it might be that that they look up to that can say, I would never have sex without a condom. Mm-hmm. Are you kidding me? Why would I ever do that? What a dumb thing to do. I would never do that. They need to hear that and they will yeah. believe it. Tell me about vasectomies then. Vasectomies. Oh, my, my, another favorite <laughs> topic for me. So vasectomies are really, really amazing. We don't talk about those enough as well. It's expected that if a couple wants permanent birth control, that the woman will get a tubal ligation and often happens right after a birth or something. So, and, and there is some argument for that. Like, oh, if we're already in doing a C-section, let's quickly do a tubal ligation, assuming the woman has requested this. Um, I get that. But if it's not that situation, if it's just a couple saying, we want a more permanent form of birth control, and they're trying to decide between a tubal ligation or a vasectomy, there is no question. There is no doctor that's going to recommend, oh, you better do the tubal. It is A vasectomy is far safer every single time. It's a simpler procedure. It's easier. You're going to, it's in and out. It's 15 minutes. It's, it's, just, it's just a non-procedure compared to a tubal ligation. Although both can be done safely. I'm not trying to discourage someone who wants a tubal ligation from getting one. But if you're comparing the two, vasectomies are are much better. And the issue is reflected so well in the statistics that there are far more tubal ligations given than vasectomies because we're so willing as a culture to protect these men. Like, they shouldn't have to go get a procedure. These poor guys, what if they can't get an erection anymore? That's not a thing. That's not an, That's not a side effect of vasectomies. But like the, the sex organs function just as well. You have just as many orgasms. You have just as many erections. That doesn't change at all. The difference is just your sperm no longer makes it out of your penis, which is <laughs> terrific. So it's amazing. But beyond that, the technology on vasectomies is also getting better, meaning like the actual medical processes of giving the vasectomy or reversing it for the rare cases where someone wants it reversed, that's also improving. So that this could, it's, it's not there yet. I want to be clear, but it could become something where young man is starting his sexual life and says, I want a vasectomy until I want to be a dad. And he goes and gets a vasectomy and then 10 years later gets a reversed and then gets another vasectomy. We're not there yet. I mean, you technically can do that, but you have to have enough money to get a good doctor that can can guarantee those results. But we are getting better. And the more we're talking about it, the more improvement there will be. We don't think of medical life as like a you know, demand kind of economic situation, but it is. If there's an increased demand for vasectomies, we'll have more doctors who are doing vasectomies mm. and are better at vasectomies. They'll become an easier procedure. They'll get, they'll just get better and better. So they're they're pretty terrific. And one of the things we also don't talk about regarding vasectomies is couples where the man has gotten a vasectomy, they report consistently much better <laughs> sex lives, which it's you would never guess unless you'd experienced yourself. It's just takes so much pressure off of the sexual relationship that this constant worry that women have, whether they're acknowledging it or not, of, I just had sex. Am I going to be pregnant? Did the birth control work? Is my prescription up to date? Or am I on antibiotics that are causing it to, you know, be less effective or whatever it might be just this, or just this kind of general dread of, if I am pregnant, what will I do? You know, do I have to make a big decision? What will I do? It's gone. It, yeah. When the man gets a vasectomy, all that pressure is gone. It's amazing. And it, so it's 
So we should be touting these benefits of vasectomy, like how awesome it is for your sex life. You want to improve sex life? Get a vasectomy. And there are jokes and memes out there about women that are like, I would only have sex with a man who's had a vasectomy <laughs> at this point. And, and I know they're mostly jokes, but like, that's a good goal to get to as a society where we're like, look, you want to have sex with people? You know, you need to ejaculate responsibly. And that's going to include a vasectomy <laughs> for most men. Exactly right. Exactly right. Um, women, it's perfectly possible to be impregnated without experiencing any kind of pleasure. We've, uh, we hear stories like that all the time. That's certainly like a, an orgasm for a woman. The clitoris is not required to cause a pregnancy. It exists only for pleasure. It has nothing to do with the pregnancy cycle. But for men, again, this, this voluntary ejaculation, which is typically an orgasm, although technically an ejaculation and orgasm are different things, but <laughs> for our purposes, we're going to talk about it as they're the same thing. Impregnating someone is, we assume in most cases, is a, a pleasurable experience for men. And we really do prioritize this. Like if, if you see a movie that's depicting sex, sex is defined as the beginning is the man penetrates the woman and the end of sex is when the man has an orgasm. Like that's how we depict sex. The woman's pleasure in any of this may or may not be depicted at all, but certainly is not the priority or is not the definition. The definition of the sex is the man penetrates, the man has an orgasm. Like that is how we define the beginning and end of sex. Absolutely bizarre that again, we're so clear that that's what sex is. And then we totally disassociate men and pregnancy and that they cause pregnancy when we're so clear on like, that is our cultural definition of sex, but we're not going to acknowledge that that's what causes pregnancy. It's just so, so, so bizarre. You have a poll in, uh, in the book, a statistic that in a poll of 22,000 women in Britain, 51% of them said that they'd woken up to a partner having sex with them or performing sex acts on them. And I mean, it's, it's, it's an incredible statistic, but it's, yeah. you, you talk in the book about that point of how, how women are often not in control of whether they get impregnated, as we know these things are are happening. Tell right. us about that and why that was important to include. Right. So it was important to include. Like, I want to be clear that as I'm talking about this, I'm 
almost always talking about consensual sex. I'm talking about sex between two people that wanted to have sex. But the reality is there is coercive sex that we don't always see that sort of technically falls under consensual. Like, again, she eventually said yes after I coerced her, after I, you know, pressured her. But that is not actually consensual sex. And the power dynamic between men and women in sex is is very real. Men often say women have more power because they get to decide who's who they're having sex with. But that's not actually true. Like once a woman has entered into a relationship, the man has the power in the sexual relationship because he has typically has the physical strength. Like we're talking about actual physical power. And, and not just that, it's intimidation. It's all sorts of things. But it's it's easy for people to say, well, the woman just needs to demand that the man uses a condom. And that's problematic for so many reasons. First of all, why wouldn't he be using a condom? Like for what reason would he not be like, why should he, should she ever have to ask him? He should just automatically be using one. That's a separate thing. But the the other thing we're talking about is that is not an easy thing to do for a woman to say, hey, I'm here in this vulnerable position. We're maybe alone together in a room. Maybe I've taken my clothes off. Maybe you've taken your clothes off. I'm very vulnerable. And now I'm going to say, and I know you really want to have sex, man, but I want you to wear a condom. And we know culturally men don't want to wear condoms or think they have earned sex without a condom maybe, or whatever it might be that we know culturally men don't like condoms. Even if, as we've discussed, that's a myth, it's deep in our cultures. So now I'm supposed to say, okay, here's this person that's bigger than me, that's stronger than me, that really wants to have sex. I'm going to assume he doesn't like condoms based on what I know about men. And now I have to insist that he use one. How well do I know this guy? Is he going to hurt me if I suggest this? Is he going to throw me out on the street? Is he going to traumatize me in some other way? Is he just going to talk meanly to me? Is he going to make me feel guilty and crappy? I don't know what's going to happen if I insist on a condom. It is a precarious position to be in. And maybe you know the guy really well and it's no big deal. Wonderful. But again, if that's the situation, why are you even having to suggest a condom in the first place? If he's such a good guy, why isn't he wearing a condom in the first place? Like that, he should just automatically be wearing one. So. It's just an issue. And I wanted to make sure that's in the book that we're really talking about this because it's so easy to say, well, women just need to insist on a condom or like to to throw it back on women. It's so easy to say that. And in real life, in a real sexual situation, it's not easy. I have a little quiz in the book, a pop quiz for men. There's no, there's no answer guy (laughs) at the end. It's really just a a little uh, thought exercise where I ask things like, Men, have you ever implied that you don't like condoms to a woman? Have you ever not brought up birth control and assuming she was taking care of it? You know, like things like that. I think it's really interesting when I watch men read that and then I watch women read it. It's fascinating. The Uh women are all like, I've experienced that. I've, you know, they're nodding along and the men are like, oh crap. Oh, you know, like just sort of just like realizing that even if they were trying to, be a jerk that maybe they have yeah. been a jerk, you know? Um, and I'm not trying to make them feel guilty about it. I want them to approach the, their sexual experiences moving forward yeah. in a different way. I want them to ejaculate responsibly. That's all we're asking. I, at no point, I'm trying to limit sex for men. I'm not trying to say, you can't have sex anymore. You can't have fun sex anymore. No, you can, you, I'm just asking you to ejaculate responsibly. It is really easy to have wonderful, happy delicious sex while ejaculating <laughs> responsibly. And if you can't do that, that's an Absolutely. education problem. Yeah. 
because I think it's really important to say, you know, on that note, you're not trying to make women out to be victims or, you know, these like, oh my God, men are, you know, marauding around oh. and it, it's it's all terrible. You want it to be 50-50. You want men and women to be equally involved in stopping unplanned pregnancies, basically. And I think that's really important to, to say because you're not painting women as right. this passive, this passive sort of um, entity that can't do anything about it. No, you're exactly right. And in fact, sometimes I'll say, Let's say it's, if it helps, instead of saying 50-50, let's say 100-100. I want women to be 100% responsible for women's bodies. And I think women are trying hard to do that right now, as evidenced by our birth control industry, which is completely funded by products for women, paid for products for women. Like, like we women demonstrate all the time they're taking responsibility for their bodies. So I want women to take 100% responsibility for women's bodies. I want men to take 100% responsibility for men's bodies. And again, that is not happening right now. Right now, what happens if you say, well, a woman just needs to insist a man use a condom, you are saying, woman, you need to be responsible for your body and for the man's body. You are asking the woman to be responsible for both of them. That is the issue. I'm asking men to step up and take responsibility for their own bodies. That in no way implies women are victims. It in no way implies women are supposed to stop taking responsibility for women's bodies. Definitely don't do that, women. (laughs) Definitely continue taking responsibility for your bodies. I I highly encourage you to do that. But women already are. Already are. What I'm asking men to do is is step up and take responsibility for men's bodies. They have sperm, and sperm can do real damage. We don't think of it like that. But you know, just for the the purpose of this conversation, think of sperm as like a germ or an infection. It can really do damage to this other person's body. If you were sick in some way and, and you know, you had an infection or a, a, a disease that could infect your loved ones, you would be so careful to make sure you're keeping any of your bodily fluids away from them. You'd cover your mouth when you cough. You'd use a Kleenex when you need to sneeze. You know, you'd just be so careful because you love this person and you don't want to infect them. But we act like sperm is just can do no harm. And it's just not true. It can do huge harm to a person. And in the same way, you're going to cover your your nose with your elbow when you sneeze or whatever you like to do. Make sure you're keeping your sperm away from your loved ones. Unless the two of you are desperately trying to have a baby, like your sperm should get nowhere near your, your partner. You need to protect her from that. And that's not asking men to like do some hard thing. It's not hard to cover your nose when you sneeze. It's not hard to keep your sperm away from your partner. Like this is just taking basic responsibility for your bodily fluids. This idea, which you have in the book and which was in the Twitter thread, that sperm is dangerous. It's such a mind-blowing, mm-hmm. radical thing to say. It sounds quite anti-men, but I don't <laughs> think that's what you mean. But you do go in in the book to the negative effects of pregnancy and childbirth on the body, which again aren't really necessarily yeah. um, talked about. We had our own abortion referendum here where that did come up a bit, how pregnancy affects a woman's body, where there are many, many reasons why a woman might not want to get pregnant. But when you think of it that way, in terms of sperm being dangerous, have you had much pushback on that? I know you've had a lot of pushback on a lot of the things in the book, but what sort of um, criticism have you had of that bit particularly? I've had a little bit, and and mostly in that like, oh, that's going too far. That's being, you know, it's, it's like a little too obnoxious to say something like that. But there really isn't a strong argument against it when you say, look, like sperm cause pregnancy and pregnancy can do physical damage for sure, but also do all sorts of like, 
It can ruin relationships. It can mean ruin a woman's career. It can disrupt her education. It can do all sorts of things that, in addition to physical damage, it can be so harmful. There really isn't an argument against that. It's it's something we can all see. We're like, yeah, we've all seen pregnancy disrupt people's lives and harm them physically, pregnancy and childbirth. So there's not a big argument against that. It's not a strong argument against that. So it's really just trying to get people to think about how careful we are, all people, human, all human beings are careful with their bodily fluids. We're so careful with them. Like we're, we don't just pee anywhere. We, you know, we use a, we use a bathroom. Like we're, we're so careful. We clean up our sneezes. If we threw up at the party, we're going to clean that up. Like we're, that's just part of being human. It's like, you've got to take care of your bodily fluids. If you're a baby, you get a free pass, but like once you're old enough to, to do this, you got to take care of your bodily fluids. And we don't do that with sperm. We like give sperm this big exception for no reason. For the the only reason being, again, we'd never want to inconvenience men in any way. We want to make sure sex for them is as pleasurable as possible. Like there's no good reason that we're all so careful with our bodily fluids, but we just ignore sperm. Like I think of a woman on her period is going to be so careful. She doesn't want to leave any traces of blood anywhere. She's wrapping up everything. She's trying to make it seem like she's not on her period. She doesn't want any hints anywhere that, you know, in society that would make someone uncomfortable or who knows what's going on there. But, um, but again, we act like sperm is fine. Throw it around, put it everywhere. I don't know. And it's just like so bizarre that we've exempted this body fluid that can actually do damage from the basic manners of like, take care of your bodily fluids. So saying sperm is dangerous is certainly trying to, you know, create some debate or create some conversation, but also just to point out, hey, you're already being careful with your bodily fluids. That is just something humans do. That is basic manners. Why in the world wouldn't you be careful with your sperm? It's, it's a very fair point. I mean, and this idea as well that men can't control their urges, but, you know, women can. This disparity there is is also in the book. Yeah. And it's just so bizarre in our culture as well. Like men just about it. They just not in control. Once they're having sex, it's, you know, an animal takes over and you're like, that is baloney. We all have biological urges. We all do. Every human being, and and we have a lot of them in common. Every human being has urges to pee, has urges to defecate. I don't know. We don't want to talk about (laughs) poo and pee. I'm sorry. Um, But we all have these biological urges and we have learned to control them. And they are stronger urges than sex. Like you have to, when when your body needs to pee, you pee. Like this is like, these are strong urges. Again, we've learned to control them. We use a bathroom. We hold it till we get home, whatever needs to happen. The idea that men can't control this is just so silly, especially if you actually talk to men who will immediately, like if you're talking to a man who's being honest, will immediately counteract it and be like, Oh no, you totally can control it. You can absolutely control it, obviously. So that's just nonsense. And we shouldn't even entertain that for a minute. You know, of course you have control of your body. That's what being an adult is. Like that's what that's what you do is you have to take control for your actions. And if you truly feel like you cannot control yourself in sex, then you've just described that you can't ejaculate responsibly and therefore should never have sex. Like if you can't ejaculate responsibly, you should you should take yourself out of the sex pool completely because if you can't do it responsibly, you shouldn't be doing now, it. Listen, I want to move on to talk about changing the discourse and how we get this brilliant ideas of yours, uh, you know, into, into a wider kind of mainstream conversation. But first of all, just the idea of ejaculating responsibly. Has it been hard, do you think, for some people to get yeah. their heads around it? Like, have people just dismissed it out of hand? Or how have you found trying to spread this this idea? I've had really good response from it. I actually feel really hopeful. And I think the title helps. Ejaculate is such a <laughs> funny word. It's not something we use like 
in basic discourse at all. It's not a sexy word. It does not turn anyone on. Like it's, it's just this like kind of textbook clinical term. And because of that, I should say, it, it's hard to encounter at first. I do see hesitation. Like the first time someone says it aloud on TV, for example, if I've heard, you know, like if it's getting covered on a, on a show, they hesitate using the word ejaculate. But then as soon as they say it and realize like, oh yeah, nothing happened. No, it's, it's fine. Like it, it, I didn't say a dirty word. Like it was, it was okay. They get used to saying it and it becomes a really helpful word because again, it's like, we need a non-sexy way to talk about sex. Like we need that. We need to be able to have these conversations. When parents are talking to their kids or a teacher's talking to a student, they are not trying to have a sexy conversation. They're just trying to talk about the facts of biology and the facts of reproduction. And you need non-sexy ways to do that. And so ejaculate is a great word for that. It also catches your eye. Again, you don't use it a lot. Like we don't see it a lot. It's a long word, lots of syllables. It ends up being a really helpful word because it's totally safe to say it's not a curse word. It's not a dirty word. You know, like it's safe to say, but it does catch your eye. It does sound unusual because we don't use it a lot. So that has actually been really, I hope, helpful to people. The feedback has been great. And for young people, they have no, like I'm thinking teenagers, they don't even have any baggage around the word ejaculate at all. Like they don't even hesitate saying it. They have no issues with it. It's only older folks that might sort of see it as like, oh, wait a minute, am I allowed to say this word? So that's been good. As far as like getting the word out there, I really just want people to talk about it. And and they do. I mean, and a, a clip just went viral. Again, it's been sent to me literally a thousand times of a woman protesting with a sign. I don't even know if she's read the book. She doesn't mention it, but she's says, men, stop ejaculating irresponsibly. <laughs> she write, you know, hands writes this thing. And like people get it. Like if you are out there protesting at clinics, that's insane. You need to be, if you really want to stop abortion, you need to stop unwanted pregnancies. And if you want to stop unwanted pregnancies, you need to get men to stop ejaculating irresponsibly. Men are causing these unwanted pregnancies. So if you want to see abortions go down and you want to lecture someone about that, you need to be lecturing men. You need to be lecturing men. Like that's what needs to be happening. Of course, we know they don't actually care about that. They want to lecture women. They want to right. yell at women. They want to control women. And they're using abortion as an excuse. If they actually cared, there are things they could do. They themselves could ejaculate responsibly. They could talk to other men about ejaculating responsibly. They could advocate for free and affordable birth control. They could advocate for age-appropriate sex ed. There are things to do. Like if, if the issue is solving unwanted pregnancies, mm. we know how to do it. We know how to, to prevent unwanted pregnancies. That is not magic. Yeah. They don't care about that. They care about controlling women. It's really resonating with me here at the moment as well in, in Ireland for a couple of reasons because we had, as I said, our abortion referendum. We got, we we uh, voted for abortion, yes. which was uh, amazing. But we still have an ongoing discussion here about, you know, um, access to abortion. Some places don't, uh, doctors won't facilitate it. Also, you have to go away and think about it for three days, which which is ridiculous. But it's really interesting because in all of that conversation, there's, there's no discussion about men and what their role in it is. It's continuing continues right. to be about women all the time, 100% of the time. Yeah, it's really, really frustrating. It's really, really frustrating. You're going, we have all this energy, all these laws around abortion, when it is totally possible to eliminate 99% of abortions without even making an abortion law if men would just ejaculate responsibly. We could have this entire conversation about men and people are just, and when I say people, I mean like basically male politicians, but they are unwilling to have these conversations. They don't want the focus on men because then they'd actually have to 
make a change. They'd have to change their behavior. They'd have to ejaculate responsibly. They'd rather not think about it and then just, you know, yell at the women. Well, Gabrielle, let's not be so dismissive and let's think that actually maybe there are men who would like to have these conversations and that, because I find um, doing the women's podcast, more and more we're talking to men who, for example, want to end violence against women and want to be part of that movement. So I think it's it's a really good time to maybe hope that there are men who want to be part of this. Oh, I apologize. I 100 Hundred percent agree, and in fact, I feel like um, when I'm saying the men that don't want to talk about this, I'm really t- thinking about pro-life politicians yeah. that are just saying this be- again because they want votes or they want to control women. They don't actually care about this topic. the The reality is, men do care about this topic, and I have had zero men, actually zero men, who have read this book and have argued with me about it. There are plenty of men that will argue with me on Twitter. They haven't read the book. They've read like one argument or one tweet. They don't know. I have had zero men who have read this book and then came and said, this is wrong. Men should be ejaculating irresponsibly. Or, you know, I, of course, there's no one that has tried to argue with me about that. <laughs> I think men absolutely want to talk about this. I think like shifting the focus to men's bodies actually brings men back into the conversation. Because if we're just talking about abortion, exactly. it's like we're kind of saying, men, shut your mouths. These are women's bodies. Maybe women are making decisions about their bodies. We don't want to hear your opinions which I get, but if we're talking about preventing unwanted pregnancies, then we're shifting the focus. And now we can say, men, you're back in the conversation. Now it's about your body. That's about what you can do. And I think men totally get it. I dedicate the book to men, basically, to responsible ejaculators, to the, to the people who will (laughs) ejaculate responsibly, you know, now and moving forward. I truly believe men can absolutely are totally capable of doing this. And if, and at some point someone said, is this a man-hating book? And I'm like, no one who hates men could write this book. This book has so much respect for men because it's me saying, men, here's this simple, easy thing you can do that I know you can do. <laughs> and men get it. Again, they don't feel disrespected by this book, at least the ones I've talked about. They don't feel disrespected at all. They're like, they just feel like their eyes were opened. Oh, yeah. And I think, interestingly, all those pro-life people and the people who, the men that were standing up there lecturing women, they don't really want men to be part of the conversation, right? So this no. is why what you're no. doing is really good. You're kind of bypassing them. Like when I had my abortion quite a number of years ago now, like I met the guy who I got pregnant with. I told him how much it was going to cost. He gave me 50% of the money. He understood, yeah. even then, whatever amount of years it was ago, you know, a couple yeah. of decades ago, he understood that he was 50% responsible for that. And um, he gave me the money. And I think there's an open door that you're pushing here with this idea of getting men to understand that they need to take accountability and responsibility as well. The other reason it resonates here at the moment is because of the debate around sex education that's going on. Ah. There's a whole kind of revamping of the the curriculum in Ireland at the moment happening. And I think this is such an important thing that I'd love to see get, get into um, the sex education system because you can think of all these young boys around the yeah. country We a lot of our education is single sex schools so you've yeah. got like a lot of schools that are just boys in them and just talking to them about this in a very open way is a game yes. changer absolutely absolutely because even if you have a sex ed uh, system and and um, I'm glad to hear it's on the table in Ireland because everyone is be improving their sex ed even if you are have, have sex ed it's not going to be talked about in these terms but if young boys are being taught And I'm thinking, you know, age appropriate, of course, sex ed. But if they're being taught, like, I need to be careful with my sperm. I don't want to hurt someone else with my sperm. That's wonderful. And, like, people want to be good people. Kids want to be good kids. And people want to be good humans. Men want to do the right thing. I believe that absolutely. And 
I know there are exceptions of jerks in the world, but in general, people really want to do the right thing. If they are taught from a young age, they need to be careful with their sperm and they're taught about responsible ejaculation, they will ejaculate responsibly their entire lives. Like, I mean, it's something that would like draw men in. You want to do the right thing. You want to be protective. You want to to do right by your partner and the, and the people in your lives. And ejaculating responsibly would just fits in so perfectly there. It would just draw you in. So I think if we can make this part of the, the sex ed conversation and really think about like men's fertility and women's fertility and the, and the voluntary nature of ejaculation versus the involuntary nature of ovulation. Like if, if this is part of our, our sex ed, that's hugely powerful for everyone. And really makes it feel like this is shared responsibility, that we're all trying to prevent pregnancy unless we're ready to become parents, you know, that we're all working on this. This is something that's not just something that women have to think about and women have to deal with, but that the entire population is concerned about this, that, hey, we're all doing our part to ejaculate responsibly, to prevent pregnancy, to take responsibility for our own bodies. Mm. In Ireland, we've watched um, in America with horror, actually, as our own laws have been liberalised around abortion yeah. and looking at you were sort of the, you know, the vanguard of it and everything's been rowed back with Roe versus Wade. So, I mean, is it possible that the people up there who make that have been making those decisions might be swayed by this argument? Or do you feel it's almost impossible to influence those people because they're so entrenched and it comes from a religious sort of moral perspective that there's no point in talking to them? I really do feel hopeful. Um, and and this is why the, the religious perspective does totally stymie the conversation. And, and I say that as a religious person. It makes it so emotional. It keeps the debates focused on when does life begin? When is a fetus a baby? You know, all these like, and really like, should people even be having sex at all outside of marriage? You know, all these like religious questions and, and these religious debates. And they're philosophical debates or religious debates that we're never going to all agree on because there is no one answer, right? That's the nature of these debates. But this conversation, this book gives me hope because it shifts the conversation, right? It takes the emotion totally out of it. If we're talking about prevention, there's no baby to worry about. There's no discussion about when life begins because there was never pregnancy in the first place. We prevented that pregnancy. So it's a game changer as far as that goes and changing the conversation about abortion, taking the emotion out of it and allowing us to actually talk about what works, to talk about practical solutions, to talk about sex ed, things like that. I've also have been really encouraged because I have seen people on both sides of the political spectrum totally embrace this and and talk about it. I saw a woman, um, it was a woman, a politician in South Carolina, which is a very conservative state in, in the U.S. And she is a Republican. So she's a conservative politically herself. And she was quoting this book to all of her fellow politicians in the state, in the state legislature. And like, if she can get on board with it, if she gets it, anyone can, right? You know, like, again, it's this, and it makes so much sense that if we really are out here talking about we care about abortion, this is a topic that's important to us, then you'll love this book because it, it offers some real life, yeah. absolutely practical decisions for solving abortion, right? For, for reducing abortion in such a way that we wouldn't have to ever talk about it again. If you're not actually serious about it, you're not going to like the book because it's not going to allow you to keep yelling at women. 
you mentioned there about being religious yourself and you're, you're a Mormon. Yeah. I think when I first saw your Twitter thread, I was like, this is so weird. <laughs> she's got loads of kids. She's she's a Mormon. I had this impression of you as like someone who wouldn't be delving into these subjects right. at all. Has that perception been an interesting one from people? Like you've kind of surprised people. For sure, for sure. And I, I have to say, I use that reference very intentionally. I, I know what people assume about Mormons, there's always going to be an assumption that a Mormon is going to be politically conservative and going to be anti-abortion. Of course, there are millions of Mormons. There's millions of religious people. So the idea that all of these same people believe the exact same thing isn't realistic. And that's true, certainly, among Mormonism. I am very progressive politically and am very pro-choice and, and pro-abortion, if that's a term. I like. I, I think people should be able to choose when they have it a baby. It is a term. And, I'm and pro-abortion. If they want to have an abortion, I hope they get to have one. Like, like I definitely support that. I want, I always want there to be legal abortion. But I used the, I mentioned my Mormonism because I knew people would make assumptions. And I hoped that would get more people to read what I wrote, listen to these ideas. And not just my Mormonism, but that I am a mother of six, that, that they would be more willing to think of, or, you know, take my ideas seriously because I knew I had experience in this world. And I think it did work. I think that absolutely worked. Of course, it also did some opposite. Mm. There are people that are like, I'm not going to read this because you're a Mormon and I hate Mormons. Fine. Like Mormons are weird. That's fine. But um, (laughs) I, I, I think in general, it has been helpful to be able to say I'm coming from a religious background and I get there are religious issues at stake here. And I'm, I'm obviously pro family. If I have six kids, I'm not trying to like stop people from having children or, you know, uh, anything like that. I understand these perspectives and I'm still here to tell you that if you're trying to stop abortion by passing abortion laws against abortion, that it's not working and that you don't actually care about abortion because if you did, there are more effective ways to do this. So, or really just to say, if that's your actual concern, if you're like, my number one thing is I want to reduce abortion, then you really need to get on board with some of the progressive ideas like free birth control and age-appropriate sex ed at every grade level because that's what works. And passing abortion laws and protesting at clinics does not work. Okay. I have to say, I would imagine with your husband being a philosopher and your six kids, um, that there are some interesting conversations around your dinner table. <laughs> would that be right? Always, always. <laughs> it's a lot of fun at our house. <laughs> Um, and speaking of your house, I should say as well that you're currently in France. That's where you've been for quite a while, uh, restoring a, a 17th century That's property. Right. That's amazing. It's been a lot, a lot of fun. In fact, after I get off this call, I'm going to go put on my work suit and I'll get back outside and I'm going to be uh, scraping some old wooden beams and getting ready to oil them. It's a lot of fun. Okay. Well, finally, before you go, your final plea for men to ejaculate responsibly, but also to the women in their lives, maybe what can we do in terms of helping our our men ejaculate responsibly? Um, I would definitely uh, read the book, maybe read it to them when you're on a drive, sit on their nightstand. Like it's a short book. It's so easy to read. (laughs) Like it's not a big ask and and it has short little sections. Um, It creates great conversation. So I just want people to start talking about this. If there's any sort of book club, if you've got your friends over for dinner, um, if you're having a discussion at the family holiday, I promise you this creates the best conversations. And it, and again, it takes the emotion out of it. It takes so much of the, the drama. It takes it out of it and allows you to actually discuss things. And so do not hesitate. Use this book as a tool. Use it as an excuse. Read from it. It's hard to argue with once you've read through this book and it really does shift um, perspectives.
It sure is. And I really, I'm so delighted to have spoken to you after all this time because you've been on my mind and I just thought what you did was one of those pure, radical, very instinctive um, acts of activism, you know, and the fact that it was turned into a book was just delightful as well. And just getting that word ejaculate to be used <laughs> in a, you know, normalised way is, is just wonderful. And there's so much to think about and I'm very grateful to you. And I hope you come on again maybe and talk about sex education and lots of other subjects because I know yes, you have please. a lot of different uh, strings to your bow. <laughs> Yes, please. I would love to come back anytime. <laughs> Brilliant. Okay, listen, thank you so much for talking to us. Really appreciate it. That was Gabrielle Stanley Blair there and her book is called Ejaculate Responsibly, A Whole New Way to Think About Abortion. And I urge you to tell all the men in your life and indeed all the women to read it. It's truly mind-blowing stuff, as you've heard. A very short book, really easy to read, really entertaining. And if you enjoyed this episode and the podcast, please leave us a review or subscribe to the podcast as it makes a real difference to us. The podcast is produced by Suzanne Brennan and by me, Roshi Ningle, with JJ Vernon on sound. Talk to us on social at IT Women's Podcast or email us on the Women's Podcast at irishtimes.com. That's it for me. Mind yourselves and I will talk to you next time. up what was that boring no flavor that was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week kiki palmer here and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free hello fresh jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi now that's music to my mouth hello fresh let's get this dinner party started discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com